Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmidt, Swanee and Clarkie visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Very well. I'm good. Thanks for asking. Yep, yep, yep. Good. Yeah, Sorry, good. I wasn't Thanks. a bit yeah, <laughs> Now all good, How are you? all fine. Very well, thank you. Very well. And we are yet again recording back to back because yet again the boys are jetting off, only for a short while this one, but we'd like to get some content in the can, as they say in the biz. I don't know if they actually say that. I'm just making shit up. So we're just doing another story. So what are you drinking? We've now cut our supply of Feathertop Rosé down to five bottles. <laughs> Excellent that work. That is a numbered. And Swanee? Swanee? Well, I was telling something out of the back fridge that I bought the other day, and it's this is kind of like an anti-advertising. It's very ordinary. It's, mm. um, is it a drink? It's I saw you take the first sip it's, and you went, oh, I just had to read it what it was. <laughs> it was supposed to, it's like, you know, sparkling water, but I've – I've just read what it says. It's sparkling water infused with wonky raspberries. So it's got no calories, no sugar, no sweetness. It tastes shit. It's really bad. And now I remember why I got it. It was on sale. They're the ones that are a bit, you know, you know when raspberries have been in your fridge too long and they get a bit mouldy? That's a wonky raspberry. They fall apart in your hand when you go to pick them up. It's not pleasant. They're just mush. Very short-lived. Anyway, okay. that was that will be why they were on sale. <clears throat> Never mind. I wonder if that's oh, that a new nice. Wonka movie. I don't know. Wow. Oh, I saw that the other day with Timothy Chalamet, right? Yeah, I saw just like a literally like a five second clip of it. And I think it might be like the backstory or something. Yeah, I think so, but Is I it? think it. I well, I don't. I've never seen the Johnny Depp one in, it, in its entirety because my kids were terrified of it. And I, <laughs> squirrels are frightening. It's a bit weird looking, but um, and so uh, yeah. Oompa Loompas. Mm. Oh, that was the best bit. The Oompa Loompa character was um, Hugh Grant. Oh, that's that the new like one. Was be genius, in the new the one, new Hugh Grant. Yeah, is in really the new like, one. Yeah, very. He's oh, the Oompa Loompa with great that. attitude. So I actually think I reckon, that would be brilliant. That was the best part of the trailer. I reckon yeah. I'd watch it just for that. Mm. Well, you, you might not even have to. If you look at the trailer that I saw, he's in it and he's brilliant. There's a big carry on about it because he's not. A An vertically, challenged, vertically challenged individual that there was a big oh. carry on about casting him. But it's called acting, people. You know, you pretend to be something you're not. Correct. Anyway, so just, we, just we putting had, that out there. We're so over this mindful shit. I feel like we're just going to overcorrect. On our last tour of China, there was a short woman acting as an Oompa Loompa. Really? Somebody's really acting as an Oompa Loompa? Or? In, literally in everyday life. It wasn't a little person. It was a woman who was about <laughs> literally four foot tall and four yes. foot wide, okay. and she was a horrendous personality. So we yeah. were all calling her the Oompa Loompa. So when <laughs> right. Schmidt said that we might come into fire because Hugh Jackman isn't an Oompa Loompa but was acting as one, then I said, well, there. Not Hugh Jackman, Hugh Grant. <laughs> Let's be very clear on that. <laughs> I don't even think I don't even think Hugh Jackman would be anywhere near as good as Hugh Grant. Yeah, I know. God, Hugh Jackman is an Oompa God, I'd go to the movies to see Hugh Jackman as an Oompa Loompa. That's funny. Oh yeah, he's got his shirt. Is is Hugh Grant playing every Oompa Loompa or just one? Yeah, I don't know. In the trailer that I've seen, 
Willy Wonka has just, he's just sort of, he's met him. So he's talking to him and he, and Hugh Grant's very proper and he's saying, you know, something like, oh, you know, don't you know who I am or something like that. So I, if he's just a representative or whatever, he's just yeah, a one-on-one right. -on -one scene. But it was oh, very clever. You're right. In the Tim Burton version with, with Johnny Depp, there was yeah. just one man who played all the Oompa Loompas. But did you love the original film as a child? Yes. Yes, I did. I was just absolutely obsessed with it as a child, like absolutely. And the thing was it wasn't like now where you had access to it and I could watch it all the time. If it came on TV, we'd watch it. And my mum, I think the first time I actually even had it on like a DVD, I was like, I was like an adult. Pete TV, mom, come on. TV. But I love loved that. it. Except the scary bit where they were going crazy. I was like a bit I reckon dark. even the last time I saw so it, dark. I loved it. Deep Roy. Deep Roy was the um, actor who played the Oompa Loompas in all, all the Oompa Loompas. And was he Deep an Oompa Loompa in oh. real life as well or just? He's a person who has dwarfism. Yeah, right. So that's what, so it's okay for him to do it but not you. Well, that's right. So, so they didn't complain about the fact that he did it. Although there was a bit of a backlash about having just one, probably because it took acting jobs away from other people. And now it's Hugh Grant, so it's not even Deep Roy or anyone else. Weren't you guys telling me it's about one of, with the Wizard of Oz, didn't they get a bit rowdy? The, um, I'm sure since we've covered this on the podcast. They essayed. They essayed Judy Garland, yeah. Did I they? think someone put a hand oh up her dress gosh. or something, yeah. Oh, I heard yeah. they were like drunks and just very badly behaved. Oh, they were, they were, they were naughty, absolutely naughty. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's been similar claims about gay people playing, sorry, straight people playing gay characters. Straight people playing gay people. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, and it's just a load of shit. It's like you say, it's acting. That's because there's not enough homosexuals in um, the world of theatre and acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So what, about, what about the gay <laughs> people playing straight people? Like far out. <laughs> That's I know, rampant. Kevin Klein in French Kiss. No one complained about that. <laughs> oh, you that. don't have to narrow it down. Like, you know, I was just one I was talking I was talking about it the other day. I was talking about it the other day. He's very manly. I will have you know that I'm a perfectly respectable size for an Oompa Loompa. It's got to an Oompa Loompa part. What do you mean? <laughs> the very... <laughs> I, I think he'll be brilliant. I'm a perfectly respectable size for an Oompa Loompa. Because the, the whole bit I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I saw Hugh Grant and I went, oh, now you've got my attention. I'm interested now. Yeah. How very dare you. Come on, Levin, we're leaving. Perfect size. They're not happy. They've slammed him. All right, well, that was a massive segue away from what I'm drinking, but I am drinking half a glass oh. of Sean, uh, not Shondon, what's it called? Grandon, <laughs> the very cheap version. What the hell? <laughs> Grandin, which is what I popped uh, for our New Year's Eve episode, which happened about half an hour ago. That might be what I was so drinking the other night. In the probably. Oh, look, it's fine. It's, yeah. It's a what week you later, you're still drinking it. And it's still fizzy. <laughs> yes. Amazing. I suppose I should introduce this. I'm Schmitty. I'm Sawane. <laughs> and I'm Clarky. And given that it's 2024, we're going to laugh it up a bit. Together we are <laughs> Trial by Wine. Best of the new year to everyone. Happy New Year. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so uh, so now that we're all so really hyped up, I'm going to tell a story that's going to bring us all down. 
Hey. Okay. Don't you bring me down today. Today. I will. It, it, look, it's it gets resolved in the end. So my sources for today, today's story. You get story, knocked down, but we get up again. Yes. It's a real Chumbawamba story. <laughs> CBSnews.com. <laughs> 48 Hours, The Cinemaholic, TheDailyMail.co.uk and TheNews.com.pk. Never come across that one before, but there you go. .pk. What country is that? Yeah. and Is that the chewing gum, the land of Chewy, or is it? Pakistan, maybe? Could oh, that it be? makes oh. perfect sense. Yeah. Really? Where, yeah. Was it, does, well, the story Continue will tell you. Continue on the story. So, yes, intrigued. Let's go back to the 80s from our timey whiny machine. Hair was big. Yeah, shoulder pads were even bigger. And Flash Dance, What a Feeling, was the number one single. It's that era. 83? 83? 83, because that's when this when I'm telling the story. That's right. I know, because Big Russ took me to see Flash Dance at the movies and I he was a boilermaker and I was obsessed. Oh my god, I love it. Absolutely nailed it, Swanee. I think it was June 1983. Did you leave him stranded at the drive in? Branded a fool. No. What movie's that? That's Grace, is it? What will they say? Monday at school. Sandy. There you go. Yay, yay, yay. That's the one, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so it's June 1983, I think. It's that era that I have no memory of. Well, at least I couldn't have told you what was on the radio at the time because I was much more interested in listening to musical theatre because that's what I was being exposed to at the time and anything that my sisters had on vinyl. You know, sometimes you think, how did I not know that or how did I, why haven't I remembered? And then I start to think, did something really bad happen to me and I've blocked that whole decade out? But no, no, I was just being a dork and going to school and not actually bothered by any of these things. But yeah, I have not influenced some, by pop some culture. things Swanee. that happened in the early uh, 90s when I was at uni that I'm quite unaware of because I don't know that I ever watched, which is ridiculous as it's uni, but news. I was just drunk the whole time and, you know, if it wasn't something that we were talking <laughs> about, I don't know what it is. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes things come up and I think, when was that? And it, it'll pop up in yeah. that, that year group. But I went, oh, yeah, those... who knows? You know, I wasn't watching the, the news or <laughs> reading a newspaper. I was just doing what I had to do to get by and survive. In Richland, Washington, 21-year-old Anne Crony was visiting the Columbia Riverfront. She was sat on the hood of her car looking out at the beautiful views and taking some time out. While she was there, a young man approached her and struck up a conversation. Anne asked him if he'd ever water skied on the river and he said no as he didn't even swim. At first, nothing seemed amiss, but after a little while, his voice started to shake and she thought, oh, I don't like this. She got a weird feeling about him and said she had to go and she tried to get in her car. He then pulled a knife on her and ordered her to take her clothes off. He then stuffed her underwear in her mouth to silence her and make her walk to a quiet part of the riverbank. Anne, being a total... Was daylight and everything? Uh Uh-huh. I feel like you've kind of got me here too fast. (laughs) I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, people are already with knives and got their gear off. It's a lot. You didn't even. Okay, but wait for the next sentence. Wait for the next sentence. And being a total boss, remembered he'd said he couldn't swim. So she bolted into the river and swam, basically swam for her life and got away oh, from it. What a legend. Okay. Brilliant yeah. story. It got me Brilliant. back. I'm, I'm with you again. I'm the good. end. Yeah, 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 me too. <laughs> That's awesome. I love the that end. story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't find anyone needs sentencing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's everyone. It's been great. Yay, happy new year. Yeah. 
<laughs> she made it. There should be more stories like she that. She made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She made it to a dock on the other side of the river and she was found there by passers-by. Obviously, she's in the nutty, so, yeah. you know, a bit awkward. She reported the attack and... Did she take her undies out of her mouth or...? I'm assuming she did to breathe in the water, probably spat them out as she was doing her... You know, breast, she not breaststroke, what's that one? The the Australian she crawl. She thought about it. She should have taken them off and put she them on. Gills. No, to be able to breathe while swimming, okay? Funny man. Anyway, she reported the attack to the police and the man was arrested. The end. No. Oh, what? That quickly? The end. <laughs> it's not involved, <laughs> yeah, no, no. is it? <laughs> no, no. The police, this is where it starts to turn bad. The police who interrogated this guy found that he had already served time in juvie for raping two girls and attempting to rape a third. He admitted to the police so that he had a... So he didn't need a fourth one? No, he had a problem and he, and he was going to rape Anne had she not gotten away. And he said, I need help with this compulsion. I know it's not right. So he went through the trial process. He was tried and sentenced to 10 years in prison. But, of course, he only served three and a half years and was out on parole in 1987, provided he participate in an outpatient sex offenders treatment program, which he did attend, but no one really knows sure for how long. And then he fell off the radar. Or whether the program ever worked. Yeah, I'm well, assuming that it's not going to have worked, given that we're now here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, now we get to <laughs> the bit to where... stories. Yeah. Now we get to the bit where... You could brace yourself. She didn't get away. (laughs) Yeah, the next one doesn't, unfortunately. So fast forward to Seattle, Washington in December 1991. Michael Jackson's Black or White was the top single that week. With Boys to Men. Michael Jackson was going to be by the river. (laughs) No. Boys to Men enjoying a runner up and even Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch making an appearance. Sixteen-year-old Sarah Yarnberg and her friend Amy Perodi were at home alone having a typical typical girls' weekend. They'd sat around watching a basketball game, eating snacks on a Friday night, which, if you swap basketball game for rom-com, was pretty much every weekend in my teens. Sarah's parents were away at her brother's soccer's tournament and her mum wasn't really comfortable leaving Sarah alone but, you know, was kind of okay with it because Amy was there and Sarah had planned the whole weekend out, you know, so she was pretty comfortable. Well, a bit uncomfortable, but, you know, it'll be all right. Now, this is a very American expression I'm about to use, but Sarah had drill practice on the Saturday morning and for us, I was going to say those of you who don't know what drill practice is, Push me and then just touch me until I can get my (laughs) satisfaction. <laughs> she was ahead of her time. I said, Jack, am I not a drill? No, I think yeah. they used to have to be There is a drill. There's, there's and drill. there's something, there's a grinder in it. There's too. everything, there's yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of, so there's a lot of power tools going yeah. on. No, that's that's 2000 and something, and Carla would probably Yeah, she was ahead of her time. Me. That was yeah. London, wasn't it? Or was it before that? Maybe. I, I remember in Bath. It was not in London, but I remember us in Bath seeing it when we were at um, <laughs> oh, one of the one I of the bars in Top of Town Bath. Going, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so no drill practice is cheerleading, as okay. uh, we correctly pointed out, and on that Saturday morning, and she'd wow. actually slept in and. Amy remembered her flying out the door still with hot curlers in her hair because she was running late. Unfortunately, Sarah, although it is when you're a cheerleader, and Sarah had 
gorgeous, long, naturally red hair and it was quite curly. And so she, being a cheerleader, she had her uniform, like a cheer uniform on, and she had her hair in hot curlers, ready to make herself, you know, get in for practice because it's very important. I don't know. We're not American, but I believe it's very I'm, important to no, look right. I'm thinking more I've about seen men girls. I think they've got che- they're cheerleaders in men girls. Once you take the hair rollers out, does your hair just automatically fall into position? Or Her hair probably would have. <laughs> right. So back to the girls. Sarah never made it to her drill practice. Oh. When Sarah didn't come home from practice, Amy rang some of her teammates and they went looking for her, but they only found her car in the parking lot. So she actually gone to school, her school. She parked her car in the parking lot and so she was not very far at all from where the practice should have been. Okay. So about an hour after the practice had ended, some boys were sca- skateboarding through the school grounds as a shortcut and they saw a man come out of the bushes, which were not very far from the car park. Drew Miller who was 13 at the time, remembered the guy looking straight at them and the encounter was really jarring. This guy was, you know, looking scary. The man kept walking ahead of them and as they followed, they came across Sarah. Some of her clothes had been removed and she'd been strangled to death with her own stockings. Realising that the man they had seen was likely the killer, they turned back to him and he was staring right at them. (gasps) He hadn't run off? No. Drew and his friend, however sensibly skated home immediately and called the police because drew and his friend had basically eyeballed the killer they were able to provide the police with descriptions and they created photo fit sketches the killer had also left dna at yeah they were the killer had also left fascinated by photo because if if i looked someone in the eye and then like three hours later had to i wouldn't be able to describe them them. i know no i couldn't do it i couldn't draw a picture of them if their face was right in front of me let alone i agree I couldn't describe someone. I mean, honestly, they had eyes and brown hair, you know, like he's about like Gollum because he had big eyes and was staring back at it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it, apparently it was pretty accurate, actually. The killer had also left DNA at the scene as semen was found on Sarah's clothes, although she had not been raped before her death. So we've got oh. witnesses and DNA. So this is going to be a slam dunk case, right? Sure. The police, of course, run the DNA against the National DNA Database. Remember, this is 1991, so they were running that later. If he served time, though, Hmm? he served three years of a sentence. If he had served time and they'd taken DNA and it was on the CODIS registry, but the CODIS registry didn't really start until after 91. I can't remember what the year was. It might have been 94, 94. They were, however, taking DNA samples at crime scenes from about 1986. Uh, so they definitely took the DNA for this, but they, yeah, they, there was nothing on the database. No matches came up. After, over 4,000 leads were called in and the police painstakingly followed. Were we yes. in the same state that this happened in previously? We were, yes, weren't we? Yeah. Washington. Yeah. yeah okay. So we're in the same area. Yeah, we're awesome. sort of outside Seattle in Washington. Yeah. So over 4,000 leads were called in. The police painstakingly followed them all down. People in the community were freaking out, knowing they had a killer in their midst and they were still at large. The nature of the murder was really disturbing for people too. A lovely, lively and innocent 16-year-old girl. In the day, at school, going to, I mean, it's very bad. Exactly. Described as talented, creative and kind, 
killed on the school grounds in broad daylight, mm. basically in front of people. Yeah. One of the detectives who worked on the case said just the innocent nature of this young woman in her school drill un- team uniform with her hot curlers still in her hair. This was just pure, <gasps> unadulterated evil. Yeah. It's proof the curlers were still in. They were still there. She'd got out of the car, basically, and been murdered. Wow. Even for experienced investigators, the scene was really hard to deal with. And Drew Miller also said, I didn't put it in here, but I will now. Drew Drew said when they found her body, the the way he'd left her body, she'd put up a hell of a fight. So That's what the 13-year-old said. Good girl. Oh, I mean, that stayed with him forever, but yes. Oh, fair enough. Oh, so even though there were witnesses and thousands of leads... Like so many other cases, the line of inquiry shriveled up and the case went cold. Really? What? I know it's kind of surprising, I didn't isn't it? That. Yeah. Neither yeah, did I. It's yeah. like, that's, yeah, really? Why? You not, would not think, why. wouldn't you? If it just feels a, like, yeah. If you've got a sketch of this guy, yep, yep. Uh, everyone's on high alert. Age, sex offenders, people who'd been released, all those kind of things. I mean, how many thousands and thousands of. People are we now talking about in that state alone or that regional? I mean, that's what terrifies and me. In that area. Yeah. One of her friends said that they, they they were going through like the yearbook trying to work out who looked like yeah, yeah. the killer. You know, like everyone kind of around them became a suspect. Everyone oh, yeah. was freaked out by this. That's like, like the clever killer here. Yeah. Do you know if the drawing was reasonably accurate? Yeah, it was. So if you're a police person going through similar um, offenders, like the, the history of similar offences, it's possibly reasonable that you would come across him? Or are we... Mm, or am maybe, I but, I, but I think it's 1991, so computing and, you know, computer databases were pretty newish. What, sharing uh, I th- data suspect and- that... The attack on from earlier, which was eight years earlier, might have been in a slightly different area. So it was in the sort of same region, but not a, a different area. Right. And I same get the state, feeling. Area. I could be wrong, but I got the feeling that this this is sort of like a a suburban thing. Like it's it's not like a huge area, lots of big police in it. It's it it felt very local. It felt like the local police. Investigating a local crime, as in the area it happened wasn't a big suburb. It was like a smaller community. It was, yeah, it was outside of Seattle. It wasn't quite in Seattle. The police did periodically run the DNA against CODIS, uh, as is often the process of cases that have DNA evidence, but no suspects over time. And you know, they sort of thought that, given the. nature of this attack that the perpetrator might reoffend and pop up on the database but unfortunately it never came up so in oh, june in june 1993 the community unveiled so that's two years after sarah passed away or about 18 months the community unveiled a bench to honor sarah the bench reads carpe diem seize the day a mantra sarah lived by encased in bronze are some of her favorite possessions ballet shoes a replica of sarah's beloved dog gibby and books. Bill Fuller, who was a friend of the family and whose daughter was in Sarah's class, remember her as a lot of fun to be around. And, and he was quoted in the 48 Hours documentary about this, talking about how she was just she was just a lovely girl to be around. Like it was so devastating for the community. He was also pretty instrumental, I believe, in the putting that getting that bench made and and uh, honouring Sarah. Time went on. 
And in June 1993, so about the same time as the bench thing, the class actually graduated, which was bittersweet for many of Sarah's friends who couldn't help but think that she should have been there with them. Her mother, Laura, recalled how some of her friends would ask what Sarah would think of a guy they were dating, like they were looking for her approval. So the community sort of, it felt like they they kind of kept Sarah alive through continuing to talk to her mother about, you know, what do, what do you think Sarah would have felt about this? How do you think she, you know, like they, it wasn't one of those situations where sometimes, you know, people are so uncomfortable with something that's happened that they don't talk about it at all and they don't acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. It feels like this community was still... I think that's when, when my experience of that is when you're younger and those things happen, people do talk about it it's hard to process. more openly and try to keep the flame burning kind of thing. Yeah. I just can't imagine what it was like for her parents, Laura, and her. she had two brothers oh. as well. So the case continued to go nowhere. Thousands of leads were looked into, but none of them were useful to progress the investigation. That, that in itself is hard. Thousands of leads is a lot. There was a and lot of work went into it. Like it was not defective yeah. detecting. I guess that's what I'm wondering. Was it was it that they were actually being super vigilant but there's just so many there's leads just that don't nothing. go anywhere? Uh, not unlike the Family Ties episode that we did many moons ago now. Yeah. There is always more than one way to skin a cat or to catch a killer when DNA is involved. And in 2011, investigators turned to genetic genealogy to try to find a suspect. Now, this was interesting because dun, it, in, dun, 20, dun. <laughs> in 2011, genetic genealogy was unheard of pretty much. It was yeah. kind of an emerging thing and it was pretty much kind of dissed by most police forces and you know people just thought it was a bit wacky or inappropriate or not not good enough but the police who were investigating this crime because they had nothing else to go on they were like let's just give this a go so they act they really did kind of forge a bit of a path here by just saying no no we'll we'll just see if this gives us anything so and certainly from a um a funding perspective this would not have been well, I was about to say this wouldn't have been cheap, but as it turned out, I remember reading that the woman did it for free. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wouldn't be cheap now, right? But at the time, I remember reading that this woman said she'd do it for free as a bit of a test. They enlisted the help of a woman called Colleen Fitzpatrick, or, you know, as her ancestors would have said it, Colleen Fitzpatrick. <laughs> A renowned US forensic scientist. <laughs> Here we go. Such an Irish name. Such an Irish name. And she used software to compare the unknown DNA with public DNA databases and was able to link the killer to a family called the Fuller family. And it was a line that was pretty much around the area and specifically to a man named Robert Fuller. Now, I don't know who Robert Fuller was, but he was related to Bill Fuller. Remember I talked about Bill Fuller not long ago, the man whose daughter had gone to school with Sarah and who was instrumental in the bench, right? Yep. That came as a bit of a surprise to everyone. but Did it come as a surprise to Bill Fuller? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. So not a direct match and it's a familial match. And no one actually thought Bill Fuller was involved in any way because also he wasn't. But he was too old for a start comparative. Like we've got yeah. eyewitnesses. Yeah. So he's too old. He's too short. He doesn't match the description whatsoever. I think he was bald and the guy mm. had long hair. You know, like he was nowhere near yeah, like yeah, yeah. what was described. Had he got someone pregnant some years ago? <laughs> no, no, no. Bill, oh. Bill himself <laughs> said, I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> sure. Here's my DNA. 
thought you were going to say he was his father. No, 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 no. no he, he's no. like, fine, I don't know who this person is, but here, have my DNA. If it helps you find whoever did this, oh, good, right? On your bill. Well, I don't understand good. how that yeah, works no, no, anyway. Bill's a good guy. Bill's a good guy. Yeah, I understand that. I just don't understand where we're going now. So, I mean, you've got my attention. Well, it's interesting because Bill's cleared. So is whoever Robert Fuller was. Don't know who he was, but anyway. Okay, I did a little bit of looking into the whole DNA thing and it's a percentage match to the number of alleles or something. I know, don't come at me. I know that's the wrong word. I'm tired and I've had too much to drink. There's a certain percentage of these markers and they're in a certain order. So when you get a familial match, obviously you're not going to match all of them, but there are enough of them that say that there's enough shared DNA that you are related in some way. Well, yes, so, I see that because I'm adopted. So when I've done all that stuff, I can see that. Yeah, on, yeah, on but my, I don't know how yeah. they... I don't know how she got to the fullers per se. Yeah, that's what I was interested. Apart from maybe she found enough of a match to this man called Robert Fuller in yeah. some database somewhere, and I think it was ancestral DNA type thing, like you, yeah. like the genealogy thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That she said, okay, yeah. that family, somewhere in that family, is someone who's matching this, right? Which would lead them straight to Bill Fuller, right? Well, yeah, because and also Bill Fuller is the only Fuller that anyone knew about in the that area. That's what I mean. Who's around yeah. the thing? Yeah, and yeah. he knew. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The so the <laughs> victim. I know we're stuck I think on the wrong. That's a coincidence. Yeah, I understand on that. that, but that, I think that that's why we're that stuck in the it. in the context of the DNA. That's a coincidence. Yeah. So not Bill himself. Well, it's not Bill himself. The DNA he willingly gave to police did show there was a relation somewhere in his line that was likely to be the killer. In 2019, after eight years. That must be horrific. Yeah. It wouldn't be good if to you're, know if you're, someone you're related to is a murderer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Particularly if you're close to the case and you've, you know, done what he's done in terms of the seats and everything. How could you imagine that you somehow would be related? I, I think there'd be nothing worse than being so close to that and knowing that you're related to the killer because what would you do? You wouldn't go to Christmas, would you? Until they find him, I suppose. No. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I've been looking at everyone going, who is it? What? I was just going to ask the question. um, How do you you bite into your turkey at Christmas? (laughs) Is is there something in that? From the DNA, can they tell if it's pre-him or post-him, age-wise? I'm tipping because I've answered my own question because they're saying it's a younger person than... He was. Well, yeah, the eyewitnesses knew it was a young person. So, and Bill Fuller, well, the man yeah, who came so out the of the Yeah, so the DNA won't, the DNA won't way. allude to age or sequence I don't think it'll tell you tree. the sequence, it'll though, no. allude to relationships. So if you have the mother and fathers, you can determine from a person's DNA without having the rest of it where they sit. In 2019, after eight years of periodically scanning for a match, they got a hit. Hang on. So, so he's had eight years of knowing that someone in his family is likely guilty of related. it. Yeah. Someone related to me <gasps> in some way, yeah, has done this, yeah. And it took because <sighs> basically what they had to wait for was for someone's DNA to be on a registry. And because this woman, remember the woman who was doing this work was working with public DNA databases, not the police one. All right, so they get this hit, right? And it's it's Edward Nicholas, and he is a distant relative of Bill's, and he's also a registered sex offender. Now, interestingly, his DNA was on CODIS for years. Also, he's related and is a registered sex offender. Yes, but he's also not the killer. 
So don't get ahead of ourselves. Oh, oh what? Your throne. Skeletons are coming out of the closet. SCOTUS stands for the Combined DNA Index System. Okay. So it's effectively what they've put together where everyone who commits a crime now has DNA and it's registered in this in right. CODIS. Okay. But that's what I was saying earlier about it being established after. So they get this Edward yeah. Nicholas who was on CODIS, comes up as a partial match. Edward is a distant cousin of Bill Fuller and, as I said, it wasn't actually a perfect match for the DNA profile. Lo and behold, Edward has a brother. Patrick Nicholas. Now, Patrick Nicholas was a loner. Patrick worked in an auto parts store. Jolly old Saint Nicholas. But was he on the sex offenders list? No, he was not. He worked in an auto parts store. He was divorced and he lived alone. He seemed to have no friends or family or children in his life. No one visited him and he didn't drive. Everywhere he went was by bus, which is significant because the bus route Patrick often took went past the Federal Way High School where Sarah was murdered. (sighs) At the time of Sarah's death, Patrick was 27. And you know what? Looking at photos of Patrick from when he was 27, he looked an awful lot, a lot like that sketch that Drew Miller had described for the police. Did he really? Yeah, he did, yeah. But wouldn't wouldn't his stuff be on... File if he'd been in jail or is it someone else? Mm. No. I don't know. I don't really understand this either. His first couple of crimes were in juvie. They were probably, you know, they seal. Yeah, when you're, yeah, If you're, you're a, a bit, juvenile yeah. person, they'll seal that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he next right. gets arrested, in, as far as I can tell, 1983 when he attacked Anne. Uh, they didn't right. take any DNA because it was pre-taking DNA. Yeah. I was going to say, did he, they always take DNA? Of... Not in 1983 they didn't because they didn't know you know, they didn't have a crystal ball to know that they would do this. 86 is about when they start doing DNA stuff. So he skips through there. Then we get to 91 when he attacks and kills Sarah because, you know, spoiler alert, he's our murderer. Then (laughs) more stuff happens, but for for bits I don't understand, for reasons I, I don't understand, they didn't take DNA. He was not required to provide DNA. So there's no DNA on file for this guy. Like the Golden State Killer. Remember I in Family Ties I talked about Joseph D'Angelo Jr., who's the Golden State Killer, not to be confused with the other Night Stalker and the Morning Stalker or whatever, uh, the original Night Stalker. Lights. Yeah, Pretty he's the original Night Stalker. <laughs> yeah, all that. He doesn't have any DNA on file. So they had to follow him around and get DNA find a way to get DNA off him so that they could actually work out whether he was the killer. So the police covertly followed, covertly, the police covertly <laughs> followed him to a laundromat because he's very salubrious <laughs> where he did his washing. Took his dirty clothes. Yeah. They stole a pair of his jocks. No, no. Whilst he was waiting for his laundry to be done, he had a couple of darts out the front and flicked the cigarette butts away. <gasps> so if you are a smoker... You've got to remember to discard of your butts thoughtfully. And if you are a murderer, you should take them with you. (laughs) In this case, Patrick did not take his butts with him. Thanks for your solid advice, (laughs) Vivi. FYI, just saying. He didn't take his butts with him and the police were able to use them to run a DNA profile which matched Sarah's killer perfectly. So, of course, they arrested him. Wow. This is another one that was reminiscent for me of, do you remember Swindon Knights? can't remember the dickhead's name. Yeah, yeah. The one who murdered someone and they arrested him for it and then he said, do you want another one kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So 
and the detective was the one who was hard done by. Pilloried in the end, that's right, yeah, yeah. So when they started this interrogation, they asked him why he thought he had been arrested and he said, I don't have a clue. As it progressed, the detectives um, were asking him about Sarah's murder and he said, what year was that? And when they said the year, he said, I just want an attorney and so no more questions. So the police immediately started to think if he needed to know what year it was. Also, how many indicates more? That there must that's be more. right. It's, yeah. He can't differentiate between others. 100%. He has to know the year to be able to know which murder you're talking about. That's right. So unfortunately he no commented out, got an attorney, lawyered up, so they didn't get anything more out of him for that. Also, whilst we're giving advice to murderers, <laughs> murderers. that is yeah. exactly what anyone convicted or, sorry, accused of a crime should do. So, Yeah, but he shouldn't have said what year was that. He should have said no comment from date, from the first moment they arrested him and, Correct. and called it, got an attorney of immediately. Of course, but the no comment I mean, if we are giving advice is what to I mean, criminals. That's what he should do. Our criminal legal advice tells us to say nothing, and yet every time, every week nothing. we record one of these. Remember Anne I spoke of uh, yeah. earlier at the beginning? Anne was one of at least five other women that Patrick approached in their cars, pulled a knife on them, and in most cases raped them. Anne was lucky to get away, but another victim, a minor, was raped by him in 1994, and he was convicted of that attack. He was not required, again, I don't know why, Swanee, to submit his DNA for any of these attacks. No. Wow. Now. And so it, is it in the same city, same state? But I don't understand yeah, why he's yeah, on the sex offenders register, even based on that one. Even if they didn't have his DNA. I what? agree with you. I, I, it doesn't I, I don't up, know. It? So then the trial began, and this is really important, in April 2023. Oh, my God. So whilst <sighs> this airs in January 2024, we are currently in 2023 as we record it. So this year. Right? Oh. So she died 32 years ago. <gasps> mm-hmm. I, I just did a quick Google search as to when did the sex offenders register start. Begin. Yeah. And in Victoria. In the US, in Washington. It started. Yeah. It, yeah. But so in Victoria, it started in 2004. So yeah, much maybe, later, maybe we're 11 years behind, but maybe it just wasn't around then. You could be right. His conviction was 94 and if he wasn't convicted of anything else post that, that could be why. But his, I don't know, I didn't look up when his brother was convicted of stuff, so maybe that was more recent. Uh, So in the US, few states required convicted sex offenders to register addresses with local law enforcement. The 1994 Jacob Wetterling Crimes Against Children and Sexually Violent Offender Act required states to implement a sex offender registration program, nineteen ninety six, maybe. Which again would be after his last uh, conviction. Anyway, so even though Patrick Nicholas had a history of violent, sexually motivated crimes, the judge ruled his history as inadmissible in the murder trial, citing that it would unfairly prejudice the case against him. Which it totally would. We've discussed this before. Like it totally, totally would have, but is it relevant? That's the point, right? And the judge is saying it's not relevant. And also because he had done time for some of those. You get a fresh slate each time, do you just go and do it again? Yeah, that, that was the judge's position on it. And this was a murder crime, sorry, a murder case, a murder trial, right? So Yeah, the others. I mean, violent crime is violent crime in my opinion. And, and when we get to the upshot of this whole case, my problem with this whole case is why are we treating rape like it's no big deal? Because that's what's happened throughout this case. Anyway, I'll get on my soapbox yeah. later. Reserve your high horse for a bit later. Yeah, yeah. 
So 32 years after Sarah had been murdered, her family and friends gathered to attend the trial, including Anne Crony. Anne had been contacted by investigators who had linked her attack to the MO of Sarah's killer, and she'd immediately recognised him. The defence, she didn't speak at that trial, by the way, um, but she was there. The defence basically said, and this is the bit about it being 2023, this is the bit I, I found hard to swallow. The defence basically said familial DNA was a load of new rubbish, being an untested science, what? implying a pseudoscience like tri- cryptozoology, that there really wasn't any evidence against Patrick Nicholas. Quoting the defence attorney, David Montes, they used technology that was not only unproven, but just wacky, really. Again, this trial took place in April 2023. Who was the lawyer? Dennis Tenuto was the vibe. <laughs> David Montes. And the defence is saying this technology and science is wacky. But also they've got a DNA match. So regardless of the familial DNA bit, which led them to him, they've got a 100% match. Screw that argument. It's a bad defence. He's not the person that killed Sarah. The police needed an answer more than they needed the right answer. And so they turned to new novel, untested technology. Is is DNA technology really new and novel and untested? Yeah. So then he goes on to say, to your points, to your point, Clarkie, genetic genealogy is a new field. It really hasn't been tested out. Should we be making important decisions based on something that is not well or deeply understood? And you're right. It's got nothing to do with genetic. That got us here, but it's a direct match. I know. However, the prosecution were also able to show evidence found at Patrick's house. Detective John Free described it as such. It was almost like a lair. There was no working electricity in this house, stacks of pornography all through the, throughout the place. We also found a newspaper from 1994 that had on its front page an article about Sarah Yarbrough case, about the Sarah Yarbrough case, and going through one of the kitchen drawers, we found a torn photograph taken from a magazine of a woman in a cheerleading outfit. It's still circumstantial, right? Regardless of... Mm, that's a stretch. You, you yeah. find a picture of, you know, like it's a stretch, right? The smoking gun is the DNA. If you buy the defense's argument, that's wacky. <laughs> I just find this bizarre. Then someone, I can't remember, I'm not sure who, maybe someone in the prosecution, I'm not sure, told the person in 48 hours, as the, the, the person doing the interview, said that the chances of a 100% DNA match belonging to another person is one in 120 quadrillion. Now, uh, this is where I went down a rabbit hole because I'm like, hang on a minute. There's not even that many people on the planet to get near that. And I look, statistics is yeah. not my jam, but this doesn't seem right. No, I would say that's not accurate. Yeah, I did a little bit of research and I came across an, a rather good article on New South Wales courts.co.au and they were saying, the statistical assumption is that a DNA profile is expected to occur in fewer than one in one in ten billion individuals. So not 120 quadrillion, one million peoples. You know, it's one yeah, in yeah. ten billion in the general population, which is still more than the Earth's population. But the statistics aren't calculated from the population. You know, they're not moving back from population; they're, they're extrapolated out. So anyway, in this case, the DNA evidence and the fact that Patrick had means, motive and opportunity led the jury to finding him not guilty of first-degree murder premeditation. Just just coming back to that, I just not did guilty. a quick Google. 
Identical twins share 100% of their genes. Well, he wasn't a twin, so thank you for that. No, what I'm saying is that there's twins don't occur one in 10 billion people. They occur quite That's frequently. why I said in the general population, not of twins. <laughs> Who are part of well, I guess what, what, maybe what they're trying to say, because I'm just trying to understand that myself what they're probably trying to say is that the likelihood of one person who isn't a twin having somebody who has the same it's one in ten dna billion. is yeah. one in one bazillion gazillion but actually in the real world it's a lot more than it because of identical twins oh look there are lots of articles that say that dna can be misused in trial right by defense and prosecution well that 100 percent, i would agree with you 100 percent on that yes yeah but I, I just don't buy this argument anyway so i'm just going to say it again because you, you seem to have missed it although swanee did pick it up so in this case the dna evidence and the fact that patrick had means motive and opportunity to led the jury to finding him not guilty of first degree murder premeditation hang on <laughs> Sorry, I, I absolutely missed that because I was too busy I googling. Kenny drops. No, no. But you said you said the DNA evidence and the circumstantial evidence led the jury to convict. Find him, him not guilty. Not guilty. Sorry, find him not guilty. I would say ignoring the evidence. That's okay. I'll put you out of your misery. But they did find him guilty of first-degree murder and second-degree murder. So the defining point that I was stringing you out on there is premeditation. There wasn't enough evidence that he premeditated the murder. Oh, yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, 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 I would agree with that. So the jury did their job. It's all right. It's yeah. fine. So sticking, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Ooh, you're shit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. That was, you're, a, you're a shit bloke. I'm, I'm trying. I'm learning from Shay Pandora. I'm learning how to get my little, uh, you know, her little hooks in there. She likes her little <laughs> twists and turns. Okay, so two weeks after his conviction on the 10th of May 2023 this year, the sentencing hearing was held. All of Sarah's family and friends attended the hearing, waiting for some final justice. It was at this hearing that Anne Crony spoke. When she stood up and Patrick saw her, he did a double take and shuddered and someone said it was like he'd seen a ghost. Anne said, we rely on a system of justice that is designed to protect us from predators like Nicholas and this system failed me. It failed Sarah, her family, friends and countless others. I ask the court to please not make the same mistake. Patrick Nicholas received a sentence of almost 46 years. For Sarah's family and friends, the sentence brought mixed emotions. Sarah's mother, Laura, said, It makes me mad that he was free for so many years, and who knows how many other people were hurt during that time. I, I don't know that we'll ever know, and that could have been avoided. So, like the Family Ties episode where we discussed the ethics of familial DNA, this is another where the friends and family of Sarah would like the law to change to allow familial DNA matching, not just direct matching. And to your, so going back to your point, Carla, earlier about he didn't have his DNA in any systems, but his brother's was in there for a long time. He could have been picked up a lot earlier had the legal fraternity and the uh, police been allowed to do familial DNA matching, not direct from a, the way I've understood this situation is without his direct DNA being in there, there's no match. They don't find anything. But it's a bit of a, it's a, it's a question about the ethics around the use of DNA as well. I think what happened was Colleen Fitzpatrick, the woman who pretty much kind of uh, pioneered 
genetic genealogy. She was running against public DNA databases. She wasn't running. That's why she found Robert Fuller, the rando, and then Bill. Like that's why we were going through these rounds of connections to completely sort of only genetically but not really connected to anything people because she couldn't go direct to source because the brother, Edward, was in there. So we also don't know if there are other victims of Patrick Nicholas, but when he said what year in relation to questions about the murder does imply there may be others. So that is the case of Sarah Yarbrough and Patrick the animal Nicholas. It's a lot, isn't it? Mm. Like it's it's a quick case, but it's there's a lot going there's on. There's a there. lot in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember we did the camouflage assassin. Yeah. And we discussed whether song lyrics were admissible. Uh, Previous in... convictions are uh, should be admissible in not that it made much bearing on this because it still went down for First degree and second degree murder in no, no, six years. Also, what I'm saying is that we discussed the controversy of whether um, song lyrics should be admissible as some kind of character reference. And now we're it's saying true. that regardless of that, we also are now saying that um, previous convictions shouldn't be admissible. I don't think they are. Well, they weren't in this case is what I'm saying, right? So... So there's a very broad spectrum of things that should or shouldn't be admissible. But in the case of sex offenders, I, I would think they probably should be. And I, I wonder about the wisdom of our legal system. When you've got DNA match, I kind of go, maybe, maybe we should be including them. If we don't have DNA match, if it's just, you know, literally something happened and there was a sex offender in the area and therefore because he's a sex offender he did it, that's completely different, right? I don't think those two things should link. But when there's a body of evidence that, you know, I think if there's DNA on her cheerleader uniform that matches somebody 30 years ago, that's a pretty cut and dry case and and we've all heard stories of why that isn't a cut and dry case and, and I understand that but but at what point is someone's past admissible in a case and I find that piece fascinating I don't know the answer no but it might be the judge felt that it was irrelevant because at the end of the day there's enough evidence and this, the case is strong enough that is being presented here because I'm sure they have an overview of what the case is being put forward to say Look, we don't even need to put that in here. We've got this DNA. We know he did it. He matches the Possibly, description that you, the boys gave us. You know, like he's... If you're yeah. Anne and you hear that he's done this stuff a few times oh, before... She was devastated. Devastated. But she that's my point, was right? horrified. At what point, at what point do that you she go... she escaped a murderer. Well, well, possibly she only escaped a rapist. In her but mind, also, though, that's what she thought. She moved on with her life. And then when she found this out, she's like, oh, my God, he murdered someone. I, I, so so yeah. double double horrification, right? She was horrified she escaped a rapist. She would have been horrified to find out that he'd been, new word, he'd been charged or he'd been, he'd been guilty of that in the past. I think as someone, uh, not speaking from experience, obviously, but as someone who is raped or potentially a rape victim, to find out that, that person has done that before and been found guilty of it, 
you've got to question the justice system. And oh, I totally it do. sounds like there's a number of instances where old mate could have been dealt with. Had they included his past history when he attacked Anne, maybe he would have gone in for longer. Maybe he wouldn't have got out in 1987. Maybe he still would have been in jail in 1993. Maybe none of this would have happened. But but I guess... He should have been in jail. I don't ha- he got out in three and a half years from a 10-year But that's what I'm saying, got out term. in 1987. Yeah, no, but, but probably because he did something nice in prison. But what I'm saying is... That's if- the- Bullshit that, of it, that right? Ten year... You behave yourself in jail, no, but... you get out early. It's no bearing on the horrible thing that you did in society. What you're doing in jail should have no... I don't care how good or bad you are in jail, you should do your fucking term. I think what I'm trying to say, Schmitty, is that had they factored in his previous history, because, because I think sex offence is something that does lead to a lot of repeat offences. Other violent crime. Had they factored it in at the stage of Anne, maybe his 10-year sentence would have been a 25-year sentence, not a 10-year sentence. So maybe he wouldn't have got out in three and a half. Maybe he would have got out in 15. Maybe he wouldn't have. Who knows? But he would have got out in three and a half because he's joined the JCs, is, he's found he's God, he's doing JCs. all the when, right things. When, <laughs> but when does, <laughs> when does past cool. history become relevant? Oh, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Sorry. I'm just, I hear, I'm just so frustrated by this whole thing, right, because as I started to say earlier, you know, he's in juvenile detention because he's already raped two girls and attempted to rape a third before he's even got out and attacked Anne. Now he's, now he's tried to attack another girl. He's no longer a juvenile and he just goes, oh, I've got a problem. I know it's bad. He's also not rehabilitated. Glass rod, glass rod. I mean, no, yeah, I agree. He does have a problem, 100%. I don't really have much more to add at this point. I know that sounds a bit weak, but, I mean, I, I listening to your conversation, I mean, I, obviously I agree with it. Why wouldn't I? I mean, you know, if people are doing the wrong thing, they need to be punished for it and they should be required to fulfil the term. But, I mean, yeah, I just right. find that we sit here week after week and it depends on which precinct they're in, which state they're in, whatever else, how... Things are so inconsistent. Do you know what I mean? And well, one time it works because they've got something got a system. Oh, everywhere. Do you know what I mean? You know, you never. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's kind of well, not the beauty of it, but that's what I do find quite interesting about trial by wine is every time I think, oh well, this is what will now happen. Then we're, we're blown out of the water. And, oh no, no, not in this situation. This situation, this argument was put forward, and that person didn't have to, you know, prove yeah, it on this yeah. occasion. And then the, the next crime will completely dispel that and prove something else. Like, I mean, it's so, it, mm. it's, the variance is unbelievable from one crime to the next, it's you know. Fickle. It's amazing. Yeah. I, You know, you, you cannot sit here and that there's no linear relationship between every single crime and what happens and then you get this crime. It's just and what's going to happen next. It's unbelievable yeah. how it feels random. It's not, but it feels it. Like why doesn't he get life? He gets, he gets done for first-degree murder. He doesn't get life. Yeah, it's crazy. But he gets 46 right? years. He's old enough now that he'll never come out, right? Yeah. As long as he doesn't get paroled. 46 years is longer it. than life, though. So even if he does 30 years or something at 60 years old, if he lives to 90 in jail, which I don't believe many people do, he's not going to be free ever again. But he He'd did have 30 years. By the time he gets that. He had outside, 30 yeah. years of the, like living his own life with no repercussions to that crime. And who knows what else happened in that time. Correct. And he, uh, you know, he's he's a problem in his own right, obviously. But it's this business of sort of like how many, t- to your point earlier about how many times does someone kind of just 
get a bit of time for this attack on a woman and that. And Swanee was talking about it in an ev- in an earlier episode. Swanee was talking about sort of this sort of disposable, the the quality of disposability of women. You know, like we just. I mean, this is a this was a young cheerleader, but you know, next week it's another sex worker. You know, yeah. like this this idea that women can just be attacked, brutalized. It's just a never ending. I'm going to put him in an right? acid bath. Sorry, acid bath for this motherfucker. I'm so angry about it at this point in time. How old did you say Sarah was when she was murdered? I just want to take the 16. I want to take this collective pain of every woman who has been a victim of some repulsive male who thinks that this is appropriate. Just take all of that pain and somehow distill it into an injection. And I'm just going to inject this man and every other bastard with this with the collective pain of centuries, thousands of years of women just being treated like shit. See how you like that. That's my punishment for Patrick. For that in your pipe and smoke it. and i'm gonna add in period pain and of course this has to be done in tropical wild world and childbirth pain why not just top it off just put it all in there can you add period drama to it as well make make him watch period drama too because fuck that's annoying (laughs) agony beyond all agonies (laughs) swanee have you got any final words I don't know, really. I think that, you know, I think you're certainly in a very rich territory when it comes to my feelings about how, you know, it just feels like crime after crime after crime, women being, you know, sexually assaulted. and It's just horrendous. But trying to look at Patrick, I struggle because I don't really know a lot about him. He's just a repeat offender who's just this person again sort of on the edge of society. And a bit of a loner. Yeah. That's right. I don't really know. I, you know, he just... That there must be so many people like that just out in the fringe, right? That's what freaks me out about when we do all these stories. There's always another one. There's always another one just lurking around in the shadows, just waiting for an opportunity. That's in the middle of the day. It doesn't have to be some kind of girl walking down the street late at night. It doesn't even have to be that. It's like I'm going off to a cheerleading practice in the middle of the day. It really, it just is that gets under my skin. It's the kind of stuff that I think about. No, it's the kind of stuff where I just go... It's super, super creepy that there must mm. be so many people out there. You know, I, I know we have a great laugh about it and, you know, so many of the things that we do are... We don't laugh about murder. Not about that. You know, that's the whole idea of us getting together and having a good chat. But sometimes I do find myself just thinking about things, oh, God, if I really allow myself to think about some of the things that we've covered, God, you'd never leave the house it's or terrifying. want to be in the house. It's, yeah. There's so many people it's just terrifying, I know. lurking out there. I think the thing that I find the hardest to deal with is the fact that because it's just, as we say, like this sort of constant stream of all these sort of these type of crimes, no one ever seems to learn. Nothing ever changes. Do you know what I mean? That's where I think is the, the disappointing part is, you know, where it's got to be something within human nature, right, that these these crimes exist, which is, you know, why people are so interested in crime documentaries and because it's just this, oh, God. You know, we, we could do it forever. There's I know it feels like I know it feels like there's so many, but the reality is, comparative to the population of the planet, they these are outliers. Yes, these are outliers. Yeah, I know. It's just you sometimes take, a random nature. You have to take some comfort in yeah. the fact. Yeah, I get they're random, but they are outliers. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I'm happy with your um, sentence for Patrick about injecting the pain Injection of, of pain. women. Um, 
future, past, and present, or whatever. What I don't understand is we, we the complexity of the legal system, right? Because we constantly discuss mm. issues where the police should have done more, or the legal system let everyone down. Because sometimes it's too harsh, sometimes it's too soft, sometimes it's oh, I know. Who knows what the hell went on here? And to what Swanee was saying, and I guess Schmidt, what you were saying too, is this happens all the time when. Mm. When do we learn? And in, you know, 2053, are we going to be sitting here saying this happened 30 years ago and it was of the time and therefore, you know, nobody really knew what to do? Or mm. or do we learn and do we go that, you know, with certain crimes, if there is a past, maybe they should be included and maybe we should be okay with saying that that person should never come out of detention or there is another way of punishing someone to the point where they can't overcome their own impulses therefore they will do this again 100% let's make sure they can't do that again because too many people are murdered are raped by repeat offenders who have had a pretty good deal from the legal system and on the flip side of that too many people are found guilty of murders they didn't commit or of crimes they didn't commit. So it's a, it's a very complex area, but how do we improve it? And and I don't know the answer to that by any stretch, but I'm just not okay with it. And, and this is another example, I guess, of where there were so many opportunities to convict someone before Sarah's murder. Do you have a sentence, my friend? I'm happy with your sentence for Patrick. Oh, we're just going to... I think the defence... The defence link to, you know, Wacky. DNA evidence Woo-hoo! being bloody blah, blah, blah. Yay! Like, go away, mate. I, I don't like that <laughs> blurring because, yeah, it's it's not a not a dark art. It's not a black magic. Sure, the, the process of getting from DNA on Sarah that they went through to find Patrick. But once they I found I can understand him, why right. some people would have issues with that. But they found him and his DNA was 100% a match. Therefore, shut that down. What I've learnt on all of our recent travels is, you know, we've seen Iceland, we've seen Malta, we've we've still got a whole lot of stories in South America, China. I bet you do. I mean, we we do the US all the time. There's even some that have crept up in Australia whilst I've been gone. There's a lot going on out there. And if you could take away the barriers of country... I still don't think the legal system would be good. So I think it's just interesting to get an insight into. It'd be what interesting the hell is to say, on. what do... country do you think does do it properly? Because I don't think any of them do. But also, or what, maybe what, maybe it's just. Are we better? Are we better now than we were thirty years ago? And are we going to be better in thirty years' time, or are we just going to keep fighting the same old fight? Don't know. Anyway. Well, thank you very much. I know that was. Uh, I thought that was going to be quick, but we actually did quite a detailed chat on that so uh, thank you for being part of the journey on that and as we say every week miss you already miss you already lovely story darling well done bye thanks for listening to trial by wine you can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com please rate review and subscribe to trial by wine on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, trial by wine, or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com, to donate to us. 
Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.